The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. It's the book of Ruth, and so we're starting that tonight. And so um, if you're a visitor, first time, um, and you're starting fresh with us, and so... I'm excited. Uh, I just feel like, I don't know, it's just kind of this fresh time right now. School has just kicked off, for the better or for worse, for the better or for worse. <laughs> School's kicked off, summer's over, new sermon series, sixth graders are established in, the seniors have moved on and they're going to be doing great in another ministry, and so it just feels like this new, right, this new um, going on, and so I'm really excited about that. Um, but before we kick off this sermon series, this new sermon series, um, would you guys just join me as I pray? Uh, I've, I've said it a few different uh, Wednesdays before where there's sometimes this temptation that uh, you just maybe just rely on yourself uh, whenever you do anything. Uh, but I, I can tend to do that sometimes whenever it comes to preaching, whenever it comes to just talking about God's word. I think sometimes I can uh, become really dependent on myself and trusting myself. And, um, and that's never good for anybody, not for me, not for you guys, because God speaks. And whenever I try to shut his mouth to where I can listen to my own, it's, uh, it's not good. And so um, I'm kind of feeling that temptation. I was just kind of wrestling um, through that before service today. And so would you guys just join? This is going to be a very genuine, from my heart, prayer um, and would you just join with me in that, that you guys would receive this message spoken from God um, and not from just Isaac. And so uh, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you're with us tonight. And I don't say that just, uh, just casually or, or whatever and just like we always would say it, but Lord, you are with us tonight. God of the universe, God Almighty, you're with us tonight. And it's just so profound that in itself... If we just think about it, you're here, you're in this room, the one that created all things, you, you're dwelling with us right here. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would speak so powerfully to each one of us, Lord, that you would speak to my heart as I'm talking through this sermon, Lord, I pray that it would be you and your power and your will and your might and your strength that would speak and you would transform lives because if I am just doing it without you and not really thinking about your prompting and your leading in my heart, then this is all in vain and, and purposeless and we might as well just go home. But Lord, when you speak, there's something to listen to and there's something that will change in our hearts and, and the way that we're living and the things that we feel convicted about and we feel pressed on our hearts that we're not living right. Lord, it's only your voice that will prompt us to change that. So I pray that's exactly what would happen tonight, that you would convict hearts, convict them. You would encourage hearts, you would strengthen, you would build up, you would speak life and encouragement into people, that you would do all of these things through your mighty words. I thank you for it, because I'm expectant for it. It's in your name we pray, amen. So we're going to be going through the book of Ruth, and I could just kind of talk a little bit about um, the book itself, but I'll let the book speak for itself over the next few weeks. And so um, rather than just giving you like, this is what happens, and now flip to the back of the book, and let's say how it's going to end, and um, we're not going to do that. We're just going to talk as the book goes, and we're going to let the book speak for itself, because I think that the author 
when they wrote it. They intended for us to read it in sequence and not to know what's going to happen um, until it does. And so um, I'm just going to let the book speak for itself. So we're going to be going verse by verse through an Old Testament book. And so if, you're gonna, um, if you have your Bible with you and you want to flip there, it's right after the book of Judges. Before we get to the Samuels, and so you can go ahead and turn there. It's just a few books into the Bible, um, the book of Ruth. And really, but to give you a just, if I were, to give you one general synopsis of kind of what the theme is that we're going to be looking at is God's faithfulness. And God really providing and just this provision. If you know this word provision, this idea that God is going to take care of you, though the process is a little bumpy, the process seems to be a little unreliable, and just, uh, man, I don't know how you're going to make something great out of this one, God, um, that he proves to do it every single time. And so uh, that is really what this book is all about, God taking care of you whenever he doesn't really feel like it all the time. And so um, that's the book of Ruth. So if you're turning there, or you already have turned there, then um, we're going to jump into the first seven verses of it tonight. So let me read it really quick. It says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife, that's kind of, that's kind of fun to say, Elimelech, Elimelech, no, <laughs> just what I think of. But um, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Ma'alon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites, got to work on that word there, Ephrathites, from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons took Moabite women as their wives. One's name was Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. Okay, so there's Ruth. Verse 4, after they lived in Moab about ten years, both Ma'alon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughter-in-laws, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Took a full 360, started in Judah, moved down to Moab, and then now we are back in Judah where we will be for the rest of the book. So that's where we're at tonight. That's what we're going to be looking at. Those are the verses. Um, and the first thing, if we were to look at it, going back to the first part here during the times of the judges, um, if we were to look at this first seven verses, there's one thing that really I want to just, I just want to pinpoint for just a minute because I think that it's really easy to skim over sometimes. Um, but I think it really sets a, a tone for the rest of this book. For the rest of the, the next six weeks, this really, I think, sets a tone, and that is that our God is a personal God. If you look at this, uh, this verse here, it says the man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and they had two sons, and their names were, and it's just, it shows that this is, it shows that this isn't just a book about a nation. No, this isn't a book about the galaxies, the world, God working with the cosmos, this starts off right off the bat. The lives of ordinary people, living ordinary lives, with an ordinary family, doing ordinary things, 
And that is the rest of the book, God working in individuals' lives, person, personal lives, relational lives. God is a relational, he's personal, he cares about individuals like you and you and you and me and not just the world at large. He's a personal God, but being honest here, we always are, right? Doesn't always feel that way. Doesn't always feel like God is um, buddy, buddy, always cheering you up, right? I mean, um, and we can be honest, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, um, just being honest, I think the world, the, the, the church, okay, the church has maybe done a lot of people wrong in some ways when it comes to um, selling this lie that you have to just be super pumped up all the time to feel God's presence, and if you don't, then, man, you got to kink in your spiritual life or something like that. Um, and that's just not true. That is, that is not what is accurate according to the Bible. And I think just so many churches now just have to make you all pumped up and excited, jumping up and down. And if you're not, then you're missing out. And then there's those people, and that's good. That, that's an aspect. You know, you got this excitement, this emotional side of our lives with God. But then there's also those individuals that might not fit that mold. And they're like, man, I don't really get super pumped up emotionally. So what's my relationship with God look like? You know, and I think we just need to, as a church, cater to those people and just to really show them that you don't always have to wake up in the morning and be like, whoa, the presence of God is amazing, you know? And like, if you don't, you're not crazy. Okay, I just feel like I need to say that. God's a personal God, but I think sometimes we don't always feel like he is uh, just Day in and day out lives, right? Uh, this, this monotonous life, this just cycle of life. You wake up, go to school, get, a, you know, you get out of school and you go to your practice. You, you go home, you play the video game, you, you go to church if it's Wednesday night, right? I mean, it's just this cycle, this schedule, and sometimes we kind of get lost in, where's God in that? You know, is God profoundly speaking? Is God moving? Is God, I don't know, is God tangible in that? We kind of just don't maybe feel God a lot of the times. He's personal, he's personal, but I don't, I don't feel him, and I think a lot of the times it's actually worse whenever life gets really hard, right? It's one thing whenever you're going about this cycle of school, uh, sports, sleep, school, sports, sleep, this cycle, and you're like, I don't know really where God is tangibly working in that, um, but now you also are dealing with, man, my parents are fighting, and they're maybe going through a divorce, and, and my, my friends at school are talking bad about me, and, and I, I, I'm losing my friendships, and um, all these different things. Now, definitely, God, where are you? God, where in the world are you? Personal. You care about the individual, but you're not you're not, I don't feel you right now. And so I think the threat that really we face whenever we're like, yeah, it's okay to not really have emo deep emotions. Um, I think the threat that we face, if we stay in this time of really not feeling anything too long, is maybe you start to say, well, if God's not answering, maybe I just stop knocking, right? If God's not really speaking up, if God's not really showing himself, maybe I stop seeking, stop looking, I think that's kind of the threat we face. You know, I, we can say, you know, it's okay. It's, you're, you're not crazy if you don't feel something. Um, but really our goal is that you would just start to, um, that you would seek after and feel this burden, right? This conviction of like, I feel horrible about my sin that I'm living in, right? That should, you should feel that. And if you don't, 
Strive for it. Feel the conviction that God's Holy Spirit just brings about in your life. This deep feeling, this emotion, and this joy of I'm saved. And I, I, it's overwhelming joy. We shouldn't just be numb to that all the time. But you might just not feel that God's there. And so um, the threat, the threat of that, which I want to talk about tonight, the threat of whenever you don't really feel that God is there, when God is present, the thing that you might be facing is that you just stop seeking him and you don't trust in him any longer. Well, God, if you're not there, I'm not going to bother seeing what you have to say about this issue, so I'm just going to do life myself. I'm not going to really pray, go to church, seek out what you have to say. I'm just going to do it myself because I don't really... I don't really feel you. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. When you don't feel God. When you don't really feel God's presence around you. Um, and so really the, the individual we're going to look at first is Elimelech. And he say, he's living during the time of the judges, okay? During the time of the judges. And, and what does that mean? That means that um, this, was a, this was a pretty barbaric time. This was a time when, uh, kind of like, you know those westerns where you can just roll up in, in this place. I don't know why. Going so far off my notes. Um, and you just start, you know, guns blazing, just taking people out and drag them down the street behind your horse. And, you know, who cares? Sheriff doesn't care. Um, you know, it's just like, just do whatever you want. That's a lot of what the time of the judges looked like, okay? Uh, just now you got this picture in your mind. Time of the judges was people did what was right in their own eyes. People didn't care about, you know, what did God have to say about this? I'm just going to do what I think is right and what I want to do. And I feel like I need this. I'm going to do this. And that was the time of the judges. So really, the time in which Elimelech lived, there was this absence of thinking about God. You don't feel God's presence. You don't think about God. It's God-absent type society. And so on top of that, now he is living in a time of famine. Elimelech and his life and his family, they were living where they were struggling for food, struggling for water, and they weren't really wasn't going great, you know, famine. So now you got a society that doesn't really acknowledge God. You got uh, this condition of life where, God, where in the world are you? Right, so now Elimelech is living in this type of situation. And so what is his response? He left Bethlehem and Judah and his wife and his two sons to stay in the territory of Moab. And so Moab, more history lesson here. Um, it was a, it was a, horrible place. Historically, Moab was known for their barbaric type culture. And actually in, in Deuteronomy 23, it says that no Moabite can be a part of any uh, worship to Yahweh because they were so unclean and filthy people. So they move off to this place of Moab hoping that life starts to get a little bit better. That maybe this famine could walk away from, could get away, they could get away from this famine. And so they move to Moab. He doesn't feel God, and so he doesn't trust in God any longer. God, I don't know where you're at, so I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to Moab. And now I don't think we, I don't think uh, moving to France, because the economy in the United States is great right now. Um, I'm not saying it's bad, but uh, say the economy crashes in the United States. We're moving to France. I don't think that's disobedient to God. But in the Old Testament... Right at this time, whenever God said, I'm going to establish my promised land, I'm giving you guys a place to live, and this will be where you will prosper, you will be my people in the promised land, to move out of that land at that time, 
to move to a place called Moab, where it's barbaric, unclean, does not acknowledge God, is disobedient to God. Now we can move to France. You, know, you can move to Ukraine if you want to. Um, it doesn't matter. It's not disobedient to God. So maybe our, our way of not feeling God, and so I'm going to just take care of myself, is God, I pray for you, and I just feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I'm not going to bother with prayer anymore. God, I don't really, I wake up in the morning, yeah, I'll read Lamentations, but literally get nothing from it. Axing that out of my day, because I just don't really feel it, right? Just going to do it myself, not try to read scripture. I, I, you know, I don't really like the whole um, social gathering thing of church, don't really like it, don't really feel you during the worship, and so I'm just going to actually ax church, right? So maybe this is our way of, of relating with, with Elimelech whenever he doesn't feel God, and so he moves to Moab. He, forget it, God. I'm not going to deal with living in Judah, living in your promised land, and now I'm going to do my thing in Moab. Maybe we could do the same thing in our daily activities. But really, I thank God. Get this. I think God was calling Elimelech. I think God was expecting Elimelech to rest and to wait and trust in God. I think God was really trusting, that, uh, believing that Elimelech would just, he would just stop and he would trust in God during the famine, during the time of the judges, that he would just, God, I'm going to put this in your hands. Put this in your hands, God. But he doesn't. If you look in uh, Psalms, this is all over. It says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me? Agony in my mind every day. So this isn't just, Elimelech isn't the only one that was really feeling pain. He was feeling struggle. He was feeling strife and was wanting to get out of it. Okay, you see this in Psalms. So many other people. This is uh, David, and he's saying, God, how long am I going to have to do with this? I don't think our answers, we're not entitled to quick answers from God. But we, we, we want them. Another one is Psalm 90. And it says, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servant. We want a quick answer, but God doesn't always give it. How long? Lord, how long, how long are you going to make me wait for you? But this is the catch. I think that whenever you're faithful and trusting in God, when you're believing that God will take care of you, and that you can rely on God, you can trust in God, God provides. God takes care of you and does it so much better than you can ever do it when you move off to Moab. It says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and he set my feet on rock, making my steps secure. I want you to acknowledge, God, God saved this psalmist, this person writing this psalm. God saved them, but it wasn't until they waited patiently. And not just patiently, you know, in luxury. They weren't just sitting back in their comfy recliner, I'm waiting for you, God. They were in a pit. They were at the bottom, uh, the, the bottom of the pit. And that's where they were waiting patiently on God. That's where they were waiting patiently on God. 
God is still faithful. Even whenever we're impatient, we're waiting. We should just trust in him when we don't necessarily feel him. I think God still calls us to trust when we don't feel him. And you're looking at the scripture again. We have this other example, Naomi. I have to really start flying here. Naomi's husband, uh, Elimelech, dies. So they're in Moab. Elimelech dies, and now Naomi is there. She's a widow. She's dealing with all this. And she has her two sons. Talk about pain. Talk about, God, where in the world are you? And then it says her sons took Moabite women and their wives, both Orpah and Ruth. So now they're there, and they've actually lived for 10 years, it says. 10 years they're living there. She has now dealt with a famine. She has now dealt with her husband dying. And now, after 10 years, her two sons die. Not to forget that she is living in Moab. You want to talk about a God, where are you? God, when is the grief going to stop? This is like Job. I mean, if you just read through the book of Job, it's like, God, what in the world are you going to do? You're going to give me boils. You're going to have all my family die. You're going to have my cattle die. You're going to have all my friends turn against me. God, when does it end? I'm waiting patiently in the pit. Naomi is experiencing all this pain, all this suffering. God, when is this going to end? Probably feels like God is not answering. God is not there. But the pain is real. It says that she and her daughter-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard that in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to her, his people's needs by providing them food. Now, so her response to pain, her response to suffering, get this, this is, this is what I want you to get right here. Her response to pain was different than her husband's. Her husband feels pain. God, where are you? I'm going to go trust in myself. I'm going to Moab. I'm not going to rely on you. I'm not going to wait patiently. I'm going to go, and I'm going to trust in myself. Her, she's experienced all this pain. She runs to God. Okay? I want you to get that. That's so important. He runs from God when he's experiencing pain, when he's wondering where God is. She experiences pain, wondering where God is. She just keeps knocking. She starts walking towards God. That's the difference between Naomi and her husband. Really the main point that I want to get you uh, tonight, I don't want it just to be hidden like, oh, I wonder what he was really trying to get at. What I want to talk about tonight and have been talking about is your trust in God is proven in times of famine and death. Your trust in God, your belief in God, your faithfulness to God. Okay, get this. Your love for God. Now we're talking, right? Your love for God, your obedience to God, your connection with God, your faithfulness to God. That is really proven how strong you're going to live for God. And you're just going to, you're going to just trust in God. And you're going to give your life for God. And you're going to do everything to God. It's proven and most strongly tested during times of famine and death, are you going to trust in yourself? Are you going to walk away from God? Are you going to trust in God, lean in God, in the bottom of the pit? Are you going to call out to God, wait patiently on God, trust that God's going to take care of you? Or are you going to say, you know what, God, forget it. I don't feel. And so I'm going to just trust myself. How much faith in God do you have? It's tested in famine. In times of death, times of pain, times of difficulty. 
your faithfulness to God, your obedience to God, your love for God is stretched and it's proven out in practice whenever everything's out on the line and you're crying out to God. You're going to trust in yourself, trust in someone else to lean on, or you just fall before God and say, God, I need to wait patiently for you. I don't know when you're going to answer. I really wish you would have already answered. But I'm going to wait patiently because you are the one that answers and you're the one that answers more profoundly, more truthfully, and you give me everything that I would want. I think you, you can have two people, okay? So one person that is really eccentric, really exciting um, during worship and just in life in general, giddy, uh, whenever life is going great, really exciting, and that's so good, but then Maybe whenever life hits, they start to hate God, become bitter towards God, um, really can't stand God. And then you have another person that, that really just through life, they're not super high up, you know, and just really excitement, not real low. They're just, just kind of feel, I don't know, like sometimes I feel numb to God's presence. Sometimes I feel like I think whenever life is going okay, but then whenever life crashes for them, they still stay obedient to God. I think that the person that was just kind of consistently, like I kind of feel numb to God's presence sometimes. I think they are so much closer to God than the person that's really excited, really just all the time, high up, cloud nine, and then whenever life crashes, they're angry and bitter towards God. I think the person that really just struggles, maybe that's you just struggling with, I don't know, I kind of just feel like God's presence. Like I just don't feel God's presence. But whenever life crashes and you stay consistent, and you stay faithful, that's what God's called you to do. And I think that is staying close to God, proving your love for God. That's what I think. I like the final verse here. Uh, we're wrapping this up. So they traveled, her and her daughter-in-laws, they went back to, from the ter- territory of Moab, and now they've traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. This This whole book, you'll find, is about trusting in God. I mean, you're like, God, where in the world are you? How are you going to save me? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to reconcile all that I'm going through? Do you see what I'm going through? How are you going to? And just walking faithfully. Life's a journey, ups and downs, hills, mountains to climb. This entire book is about just being faithful to God, trusting in God, Whenever you don't know how in the world he's going to uh, clean up the mess that your life is right now. That's this book. And it's actually really cool. This is amazing, okay? Never in the book of Ruth will you ever find any mention of God's actions. But you will find that the entire book of Ruth is God's actions turning what, it, what we found in, in the first seven verses that there's pain and suffering, hurt, and God, where are you? That He makes something amazing out of that. That towards the end, God is faithful and He's taking care of His people and He loves them and He's going to provide for them and He's going to be there when, even whenever they don't feel like He is. There's no action talked about that God does. But he's working in the monotonous. He's working in the daily activities. He's working even whenever you're going to school. And then you go to practice. And then you go to bed. And you go back to school. And just the daily activities, God is working. He's providing. And he's there. Though you might not always feel 
this strong, like, wow, God's here. He's there, and he's working. And that's what we find in the first seven verses. Our call, our responsibility, the one thing that we're supposed to do is just keep walking and trusting in God, believing in God. This is the part in the service where we're going to actually spread out. And so um, the veterans of ETYM, uh, would you guys lead the way? If everyone would just stand with us. This is the part where you can spread out anywhere in this entire room. Spread out in this entire room. Find your place. And originally, at the beginning of the service, we sang uh, together. The lights were on. The band was up here. Everyone was facing this way. Now you can be facing the back wall. You can be facing the side walls. You can be doing whatever you want. This is alone time with God. Singing to him. Praying to him. Spending time in his presence. Wrestling through what we just heard. This is alone time. Worship with God. I got one thing that I want to say. As everyone's being situated. The beautiful thing about having faith in God. Whenever it's dark, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're going through whatever it is that you're going through. The beautiful thing about having trust in God is that it doesn't mean that you're just going to make it through. That you're just going to, you know, limp along. That you're going to, you're going to survive. No. No, God's salvation for people, for his people that profess his name, that live for him. God doesn't just save them to where they can limp through life, really looking forward to heaven. No, God, God's salvation brings about flourishing, living for him. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not saying some prosperity gospel. I'm not going to just say, well, trust in God and all your problems are going to go away. They're not. Actually, they probably will get worse, to be honest. But the flourishing that I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the problems are going to go away. The flourishing comes in the, the joy that you have despite those problems. You're not going to just limp along in life. God, where in the world are you? I'm angry at you. No, there's this joy. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4. This, this joy that goes beyond understanding. This joy that goes beyond understanding. How you could even comprehend how, how in the world could you be joyful right now? Look at your life. Look at the things that you're going through. Look at the horrible things that have hit you in life. How in the world can you still smile? How in the world can you still be joyful? How in the world can you still carry on? It's beyond understanding. But it's the salvation of God to where you can say, you know what, if I die, praise God, I'm in the presence of God fully. If I don't, praise God, I'm going to be able to talk about Jesus Christ. I'm going to be able to see other people come to know him. You can't kill me. You can't torture me. And I will lose my joy. That just It's impossible. I will be filled with joy. And that is where God sustaining you, trusting in God, believing in God in the dark times. That's the beautiful thing. You're not going to just limp through life. You're going to be so filled with joy and appreciation for how great God is, and it's all found on the cross. We hope you enjoyed the sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. 
For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.